Hello, you amazing people out there, and welcome to the Amazing Action Comics Podcast, where we are all about independent comics. I am one of your hosts, Raphael, with John Pepe. How's it going, Angel? It's good, bro. You catch that? I did catch that, which is very, uh, there's a very funny connection with Raphael that I can't wait to bring up later. Oh, okay. Yeah, my favorite turtle. So, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that because I actually read the first issue, which I never did. And then I just saw the movie again last night, which I just freaking totally enjoyed all over again. Nice. And was kind of amazed, especially like when it came out, because we're still talking about like, you know, pre CGI stuff. And, you know, the practical stuff that they did was just incredible. But we'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that when we get there. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Indie Comic and movie review uh, for this month. So we got a couple of books for you this week, and then we're going to hop into our indie comic review, which I'm surprised we didn't do this earlier on because they've been around for, like, ever. Uh, We're going to talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, little Kevin Eastman and Sapita Laird, because I went down a rabbit hole, bro. Because I had (laughs) seen, like, uh, some biopic stuff on well, on the turtles and stuff like there's so much stuff out there yeah. um but that whole relationship between peter laird q and s uh eastman um how everything went down the whole sale of everything the dropping of everything but still coming around because he's still fucking drawing tur- turtle all right i'm jumping ahead i gotta stop <laughs> uh stick to schedule all right cool so um yeah we're, we're good so um we don't only publish comics but we like to read them so we we've got a couple of books for you this week this is for the week of uh, what is it? The seventeenth of May, right? Holy crap, dude! We are almost yeah. halfway through the year. That's bonkers. Like, where did it go? I know. Where did it go? <sighs> and one, one, one uh, month, one month from Michael Keaton's Batman Returns in a Flash movie. Oh my god, I can't wait! I can't wait! <laughs> I can't wait! You want to get nuts? Let's, let's get, get nuts! nuts. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So we have three books for you this week. Um, yeah, let's rock and roll. Why don't you go first? Because we have three of them. And you did two of them, and I have the one. Um, yes. So whichever one you want to start with, shoot. I am going to actually start. So both of mine are from IDW, so that makes that easy. Uh, but I'm going to start with Scott Snyder Presents Dark Spaces Good Deeds. So this is uh, the new uh, launch or the new one from uh, IDW Original. Uh, so again, IDW doing a great job of really leaning into their licenses, but also coming out with a lot of great new miniseries. Uh, almost, it's like a new number one a month, uh, almost. So it's really cool. And one of the first ones out of the gate for this IDW original imprint, it was Dark Spaces Wildfire by, uh, written by Scott Snyder. And so what they're kind of doing now is they're sort of keeping that dark spaces as sort of an umbrella uh, uh, title. So I, I, the Scott Snyder presents makes me think that like he's kind of curating this this sort of line mm-hmm. under the dark spaces so that he sort of, you know, I guess has you know input as to, OK, yeah, this will be the next one that fits into what I think dark spaces would be. And so we really liked Wildfires. I thought it was a fantastic book. I always said Scott mm-hmm. Snyder brings out the best in his artists. And it was a really great hook at the end of the first issue, uh, as well as some really compelling characters that, that drew you in. And so this number one uh, for uh, Dark Space's Good Deeds is no different. This is written by Che Grayson. Uh, illustrated by Kelsey Ramsey with colors by Rhonda Pattison, lettered by Sean Lee, uh, edited by Maggie Howell with uh, editorial assists by Jake Williams. And so what this one does, and this one's actually, 
takes place in 2015. So it's not, not, not taking place now, which I thought was a very interesting choice. Uh, and I can't remember, I almost had a, a vague notion that Wildfire also took place a few years ago as well, even though it came out just in the last year. Um, so this hinges basically on the 450th anniversary of St. Augustine, Florida. And uh, this sort of idea that... Um, Old lands, you know, still have their spirits, still have their sort of connection to the past. And that's sort of what is introduced here very much on the first page, this concept that uh, that things from the past are definitely going to be informing what is happening now and that there is a connection, a sort of uh, metaphysical or, or, or uh, paranormal connection, we'll say, to the past. And somehow it centers on a deer. Uh, one of the variant covers has a deer. This is a variant cover I got. Also has this deer with the antlers on there as mm. well. So that's that's something. It's like a theme that sort of recurs. That shows up on the first page, and it kind of re uh, recurs throughout. Uh, you're basically dealing with three characters. You have a mother and her daughter who have just bought this beat up old diner. And then you have a disgraced reporter who five years previously had published a, a, a story, a news story that turned out to not be true. And for the last five years, she's been working on rebuilding her career. And the only real gig she can get is to go down to St. Augustine, Florida, to do a puff piece basically about um, uh, the 450th anniversary of this, this town in Florida. And what's kind of interesting is you do have the reporter and the young girl crossing paths. And of course, um, you know, in, in sort of typical story fashion, the young girl at her first day at high school doesn't go well. She's bullied, picked on, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then she encounters this, this journalist um, and they both have a conversation. And you can kind of see a little bit of a connection start to form there. Uh, the 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 hook, the meat of it, let's say, the, the horror aspect, really does have to do with the um, the man who sold the mother and the daughter the diner, and his you know very very coarse and um, rude demeanor, uh, which sort of manifests itself in an er interaction with the girl. And then something happens to him visually that almost echoes uh, uh, the end of the first issue of Wildfires. So yeah. there's sort of an interesting, like, kind of, like I said, like a weird th through line there as far as themes, imagery, and um, depth of characterization. And so that sort of sets up your mystery. You do also have a cop involved um, uh, who, who is building a relate, you know, basically a one night stand that's going to turn into something more uh, with the reporter. Uh, so yeah, some really interesting aspects to this uh, to this story. Uh, like the last two weeks with the two Colin Bunn books, uh, something I really liked that Che Grayson did in here was giving us full characters, uh, characters that we do kind of start to care about uh, and kind of want to see what happens to them throughout this story, and as well to see exactly what's happening. Uh, mm -hmm there's a lot of mystery in this first issue but it really sets up some great stuff i really enjoyed it uh the artwork was really cool uh very you know uh very sort of like that 
scratchy style uh, mm-hmm. with Paul Pope, you know, uh, very rough hewn, uh, which I thought was really nice. It kind of added to the unease of sort of the girl situation, the reporter situation, and then almost like that weird, like hazy heat that you get down in Florida, where where if you just look at the the distance, you know, you you know the the vanishing lines and the the horizon lines. Mm-hmm. Get, blurry right so i kind of liked that that art complements that sort of unease that permeates the story so uh yeah good deeds dark spaces good deeds scott snyder presents idw originals really liked a good good first issue horror setup is it connected to the wildfires it doesn't all? feel like it at all at this point so, right, so right uh, now just dark spaces is sort of like a placeholder for everything that's underneath that umbrella yeah, it's sort of like of his, his little books. imprint. Yeah. yeah. So um, so I think a lot of, like I would say, like a lot of thematically and tonally mm-hmm. and some imagery uh, is, is echoed, but I don't think that there's an actual connection that these exist in the same world. Uh, but who knows? Maybe that's the plan later on. So. Yeah. All right. All right. There you go. All right, guys. Uh, good deed uh, from IDW. Check it out. Okay. I guess I am up. So let's do this. Uh, where did it go? Oh no! Oh no! Oh, did it not come in? Oh, that sucks. Okay, well there it goes. So no picture for me, but RK Kings is mine. Uh, this is from Image Comics. Uh, cool. All right, so let's get this done with, right? So we got the credits. We've got uh, created and written uh, and drawn by Dylan Burnett. Uh, you have also the colorist as Walter Biamonte. Sarah Antonelli, and letters by Ann World Design. Uh, I guess the uh, the house of that. Cool. So, what is this, and who is it for? It was real because you know, like I said, remember I went on that that binge of just diving into previous world and just ordering number ones. Yes. This is one of those, right? So this is from Image, but it's under uh, Kirkman's imprint of Skybound. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this story, and then you have sort of like uh, the next Robert Kirkman thing that's coming um, down the pipe at the very end. So sort of like a, a tease and preview of, I think, of universe that he's creating uh, called Void Rivals. But I'll talk about that at the very end. So you got a cool like sneak preview of that. Um, this is it, it's weird because it reminded me of a bunch of things all rolled up into one, like One Punch Man, uh, Real Steel, the one with Hugh Jackman um, in there, and then it. it almost kind of felt like uh what we just read um what was the book that we just read uh power, do a power bomb mm. um but not hitting that tone mm. it just kind of reminded me of so you, you've got basically this overall theme that uh, of the arcade scene so i would say for anybody who's a gamer they would really relate to this book um and then the underlying story so say the the arcade aspect of it, it runs throughout the book, but then you're trying to understand what's actually happening underneath um, all of this. So it's funny because I'm reading it and then I think, I don't know, I don't know if we have to take a break from this or I need to stop reading for a while. Because after a while, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but you can kind of guess where things are going or you're hearing something you've heard a thousand times being done again uh, with very few bells and whistles. And I'm not saying if it's a good or bad thing. 
This is just a lot of familiarity in regards mm-hmm. to the way the story is being told and what the story is. So basically, you have sort of like a flashback in the very uh, the beginning, or actually stuff that happens in the past at the very beginning that kind of sets up the tone of what's going to happen in the future. And as soon as I read the first two pages, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And it's a hefty book, so it's got 40 pages worth, um, but it's a, you know, a price of $7.99 as well. So you, you get your money's worth because you got your 40 pages in previews um, and it's square bound. So it's not uh, a saddle stitch. Um, and then, yeah, so basically you have this kid in the beginning with his little brother cheering for this fighter that he, he loves. And his little brother's sort of like, oh, I, don't, I, I could care less kind of thing. Um, and that kind of sets up, you know, it, it leaves you there with the, the champion winning their bout, but then also retiring. That's it. Not a video game. This is an actual like fight contest or whatever it is. Then you fast forward a couple years later, um, and then you see this kid, you know, coming into town. It's called Infinity Town or whatever it is, uh, and it's the same kid previous, but he's done something with his head, so it's completely red. So it's supposed to look like a dragon fruit. I'm assuming, um, <laughs> not a mask at all. It was really weird, but it almost reminded me of One Punch Man, um, and he's masked at all these like games nobody can beat him uh at at video games um but he's in search of something so he meets this kid who's getting beat up by this group of other kids they break his arcade stick because he has one of those classic arcade sticks because he likes to play uh games but he's taking care of an arcade shop for his aunt so joe is the main character the antagonist and so at the same time this kid's getting beat up gets his arcade thing smashed uh joe comes in saves him and convinces him to let him stay at the video game place um, for a couple nights or whatever it is. Uh, so he stays there, and, and you see this like long line of kids just the next day just lined up, just wanting to play him because he can't be beat at this particular game. It's a fighting game. Long story short, you come to find out that he's in search of somebody, and that uh, halfway through the book, as he's challenging all these other guys, somebody comes in, sort of like an old uh, Western showdown, they come in, they're like, oh, I know you, you're blah, blah, and so-and-so is looking for you, so you're going to come with me or I'm going to beat you up kind of thing. So they do their little fighting thing. The outcome is as expected. He wins, blah, blah, like an old Western, oh, my gosh, or Incredible Hulk, they found me, I need to move on again kind of thing. So there's a whole bunch of like, like things that just running through my head as I'm reading this because I've read it a thousand times. Um, and then at the very end, the twist of who's looking for him, I knew. Hmm. The twist of who he's looking for, I knew. So it's a five-issue miniseries. With that being said, everything that I know or knew what was coming, I enjoyed it. Um, the writing was really good. The art style was really good. It's almost like uh, like it's meant like between a cross of American and anime style, but also like I enjoyed it. So it's like I said, like I said before, it's almost like walking into a Disney movie with your kid and then getting all the jokes that they don't get, but you're watching an animation. Mm-hmm. And it's felt like that. So I felt like it's almost for like preteens, teens, like uh, that young age of like 10 to 13. But the content in there is a little bit more mature in that respect. So I enjoyed it. Um, the color tones were really great. It's sort of like that, uh, that neon kind of uh, tone throughout the book. Um, but it's going to be interesting. Like do a power bomb where you had sort of like the wrestling as the backdrop for a deeper story that was going on. Um, you have the arcade aspect of this as the backdrop with a kid who I believe is looking for his brother 
So it's going to be interesting to find out how that relationship, you know, how they separate it um, and what it comes out to be. I have my theories, so I'm going to keep them to myself and see if they actually come to fruition um, and then find out what this whole thing is going on with the, the old man um, who wants him back. Um, so there's sort of like a full circle in this first issue, um, uh, which is really cool. But like I said, I, I think we've been doing this for so long that you just know certain tropes and you can follow sort of like the strings along and every now and then you want to be surprised. So with it being a five issue miniseries, I think I'm going to be in for a bit, um, to see if there's any kind of surprises that come up that I didn't see. So I mean, no, I made it sound like a bad review, <laughs> but it's not, it's just something that you've seen over and over and over and over yeah. um and i'm really interested to see if whether or not there's going to be a twist in there that i didn't expect at all it's sort of like a entertainment comfort food that uh that as far as getting you in like i like this it's familiar it mm. deals with a world that i that i grew up with the video game world and things like that things that i like and respond to and 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 let's see if they do take it to places that will surprise me and and that I do, you know that I won't expect. Um, so that's kind of cool. I like when a book can do that. Like when it yeah. sets you up, like oh, you know where this is going. And even if it does, if it's done well and you really grasp onto it, that's great. Uh, but yeah, if there's any surprises in there or twists on the genre um, or, or or shaking up the tropes a little bit, that's always a rewarding experience, I think, as a reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see. I mean, because it's, it's, it sucks that we read Do a Powerbomb because to me that was so good and we saw an ending that we really didn't even, re like, we weren't expecting at yeah. all. So we'll see if we kind of get something similar with that with uh, RK Kings from Image Comics. Check it out. I just I don't know if the, all five issues are going to be square bound at seven ninety nine. Whew, that's a hefty price. I was going to uh, say if you're going to commit at seven ninety nine an issue for five issues, that's high praise from you indeed. Oh man, it's, it's just it's going to kill me. Uh, but yeah, so the backup story in here was like I said before, uh, a new uh, title is coming out for Robert Kirkman. Um, and I, I guess I'm assuming that it's going to be a shared universe that he's creating. So I don't know if it's going to be a shared universe that he's creating now or stuff that he's already done. Uh, the only thing that I can think of that could probably fit in this is um, Oblivion Song. Um, it's kind of similar to that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Void Rivals. It looks There's like, like four uh, pages at the very back um, that go over uh, sort of like the setup of the story. But the art's pretty cool. Color is great and stuff like that. And I love that he has not an android, he has a hand droid. So it literally is his hand and it talks to him and it does like it, it like he's knocked out and it crawls over to the medic kit to revive him and stuff like that. So yeah, Robert Kirkman has just got he's weird, but it's yeah, all good. Android sounds faintly dirty. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I wonder what else it could do for him. All right, RK Kings from Image Comics under the Skybound imprint. Check it out. All right, you've got one more. Yes? This yes. Or you, oh, I can't do it. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Oh, there you go. Ah, there. look at you. Yes. Speaking of entertainment comfort food, yeah. this is uh, another in IDW's uh, Star Trek license. Uh, listen, which I think listen, listen, listen. Hold on. Before you even start, just know this, right? And this is for all you Trekkies out there. I've never seen a Trekkie film. I've never seen one episode of Star Trek. And I know that if I was on that show, I would 100% be a red shirt, a red shirt every freaking episode. 
But wait, but wait, you have seen Star Trek. You've seen the uh, the J.J. Abrams. Star the J.J. Trek, right? Abrams, yes. But those the, guys spit on those movies. The first one, or the or or just three? I think or I've all seen. Three. Uh, there's three of them. I think there's I've seen three. two. Two, two out of three. Yeah. They all have the Beastie Boys song in it. So so that's okay. that's almost interchangeable. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, so IDW has been putting out a few different Star Trek titles for for actually since the J.J. Abrams. Um, uh, movie came out. They did a prequel comic, movie adaptation, continuation of the movies, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but they've also dipped their toes into original flavor Trek, um, as well as newer Trek properties like Strange New Worlds or Discovery. Uh, and then there's even one, their main Star Trek title now that just launched a few months ago is like, it's like cherry picking all the like little bits and pieces from all the different Star Trek. This is, uh, as it says in the title, fully grounded in the um, Star Trek, the motion picture uh, uh, segment of the original series, right? Um, okay, Kate, really quick. Everybody knows Star Trek was a series that ran for three years in the 60s. It was insanely popular. There were plans about 10 or so years later after a short animated series uh, to do a new live action show called Star Trek Phase Two in the late 70s. And then this movie called Star Wars comes out and it was a huge hit in 1977. Uh, and they were like, no, we're not going to do this as a TV show. We're going to bring Star Trek back as a motion picture. We're going to get all the original cast. We're going to do amazing special effects. We're going to upgrade the, 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 the ship and the, and the uniforms. And, and, um, and the movie was awful. It is one of the most boring <laughs> movies ever made off of a show that as much as I love Star Trek, the show is it's it's cerebral sci-fi. There is action, but it's very much action of its time as far as like it's the, the, the kind of fist fights you'd see on Western shows like Gunsmoke and Bonanza of the day. Right. Um, mm. And that's kind of one of the things with Star Trek is that because it's always, even though it's in the future, it's production values and aesthetic are always of the time it's being done, right? So the original series, very 60s. You could just see it in the design and, and everything, the look and everything. And so this movie in 1979, um, the production design and the aesthetic, as beautiful as sub aspects are, it's so drab. It's very gray and beige, kind of like as you can see on this cover. Uh, the the it's very 1979. It's just even the hairstyles. It just all oozes that mm. era. Uh, the new uniforms, while more unified and military feeling, because um, they are they're like you know it's like space submarines, right? Um, they uh, they all look like they're going to go play tennis. They all just look like they're wearing like these like tennis outfits and pajamas. It's really so it's a you know it's a really weird thing. Uh, the movie tried and it's just overly long. I mean, there's like I swear there's this when they show the new ship, it's like 15 minutes of the movie of just panning around this model of the ship that it looks gorgeous, mm. but boy, does it eat up time, man. It is so so Star Trek the Motion Picture is 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 not a great movie. Uh, it is really something that is, uh, you know, you really got to love Star Trek to really sit through that movie. Now, I have told you this before, and I'm going to stress this. The only Star Trek movie ever worth seeing is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That Never going to happen. The, you should, especially because as a man who's going to be 50, you should absolutely <laughs> watch it because that is a big part of it. And I, it is one of Shatner's 
finest moments um, on celluloid. Uh, he just acts the hell out of that movie. And it just, it really is such a great movie. Uh, you've already kind of seen Star Trek two if you saw the second JJ Abrams movie. Mm -hmm. uh, so almost everything that happens in there happens, but to other characters. And that's sort of, that That was sort of the cheat in that movie that a lot of, that I think um, pulled people a lot of different directions. It's like, oh, you're doing the, the greatest Star Trek movie of all time, uh, but you haven't earned what that movie earned at that point, you know, several decades or 20 years or so, 50, 20 years after the original series started. Uh, that's kind of one of the things that makes Star Trek two really good, you know, loved among fans is mm. that everything in that movie really feels earned. Right. Um, and even if you have not seen any Star Trek before Star Trek two, and again, you don't need to because Star Trek two is such a great complete movie in and of itself. Uh, that even if you're just watching these characters for the first time from the beginning of that movie, what happens to them by the end, it does feel earned. Now, we're going to just go back now to this Star Trek Echoes, which, again, entertainment comfort food. Uh, so this just basically follows the first Star Trek motion picture. Uh, it is written by Mark Guggenheim, uh, who also, besides comics, I believe is a film and television writer as well. Uh, illustrated by Oleg Chudakov, colored by DC Alonzo, lettered by Jeff Eckleberry, uh, design and production by Neil Uyatake. Uh, senior editor Heather Antos and editor assistant Vanessa Real. Um, so yeah, really, this is um, you're gonna love this if you are familiar with Star Trek. Uh, the art is really nice; it's clean. Uh, the likenesses are are really spot on, but also very unique to the artist. So it really does. It's a nice looking comic, uh, as and it doesn't. You know, uh, the little liberties he takes are not gross exaggeration. So everything does feel very comfortable and familiar. Uh, the colorist did a great job of, of adding color to what was a very drab and colorless movie. So mm. in that respect, that's, it's, it's actually even more engaging than the movie and it moves a lot quicker than the movie. Uh, and like the movie, it does sort of retread an old plot line from the series uh, because if you're familiar with Star Trek, you know Star Trek is famous for dealing with parallel universes or mirror universes. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is no different. Uh, so basically you have uh, other other, other universe counterparts to existing characters, uh, you know, that you know from Star Trek. And that kind of sets up a really interesting dynamic. Um, so, yeah, I really dug it. If you don't like Star Trek and you're not that familiar with the characters, I don't know if that you're going to necessarily want to pick that up uh, off the rack. If it, But if it grabs you, I'd say give it a shot because I, I will say that you know, a lot of the characters are introduced in a bit of a shorthand. Um, so I think you kind of get, even if you don't know exactly who these characters are, you know, the doctor is cranky and very old fashioned in his mindset. Uh, you know, that Kirk is, is, is always butting heads with the higher ups. Um, Spock is very logical and science-based. So it does sort of give you, you know, what you need to know if you're not familiar uh, but that's such a tricky line, right? Because you don't want to bore. It's it's like the the Secret Wars from 1984. We always talk about this. Uh, Jim Shooter wrote that Marvel miniseries as if each one literally was someone's first time picking up 
a, not mm -hmm. only a comic in that series, but a comic in general. So you basically, the first two pages are telling you exactly what happened before and establishing who the characters are in really weird ways. Like I'm Ben Grimm, they call me the thing and I'm mm -hmm. made of rocks. It's like, yeah, we can see that and we know who you are just visually. But so, so this avoids kind of that. It just dives right in. Um, but you know, with their character personalities in place and I think it's done well enough. I think it's done, you know, again, Mark Guggenheim is really good at this kind of stuff, especially this genre stuff. So I think it is, it is not jarring to somebody who's not familiar to that. Mm. Uh, and again, it's entertainment comfort food for those who are. So yeah, Star Trek, the motion picture echoes, um, Give it a shot. If you love Star Trek, definitely give it a shot, especially the your original series crew. Um, if you have never tr tried Star Trek before and you happen to be in a comic shop, you know, pick it up and see if that, you know, scratches an itch that you didn't know that you had. Well, we know who was there yesterday picking up their copy. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's all good. Uh, all right. Wonderful, guys. That was the last book, Star Trek. Motion picture from IDW as well. So there you go. You got yourself three choices this week that we picked up off the shelf. Uh, Dark Spaces Good Deeds, RK Kings, and Star Trek. Star Trek. Uh, motion picture uh, for this week. Yeah, check them out. Uh, visit your local comic shop. All right, so we're going to move on. because, Dude, I don't know why I'm excited, but yes. I'm excited uh, too, man. This, this, this is... Yeah. I'm excited because you never saw this thing and you freaking actually watched it now, which is fantastic. And you never read the comic, the, the first comic, and you and, and I now, read it. Um, that's why I'm excited because so we're good. All right, yeah. so we're gonna move on to our indie comic movie review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I wish that was an original song. Like I was, I stood to the end credits of the original movie, and I forgot it was a fucking rap song. A rap song, yes. Because they were all doing it back then. It was like freaking Ghostbusters had one too. Uh, there was a bunch of movies that just finished out with rap songs. I was like, yeah. guess we were going through a hip hop phase or a rap phase. I'm that. surprised Batman didn't have a rap song to be honest. It didn't. It had the Prince, uh, well, no, it had the Prince soundtrack <laughs> in the middle of it, which is even better. Um, all right, so we're, we're going to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, there's been a ton of iterations of, you know, based off of the original. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Uh, and, you know, the later iterations, you can say whatever you want about them. Almost everything that's come out when it comes to either the animations or the live actions, I've enjoyed. Aside from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number three, which was pure crap. <laughs> I still watched it. <laughs> if it's on TV, I'm still going to watch it um, in that respect. And it's one of those things. Maybe we'll touch on it just a little bit. Like when you talk about sequels, especially when you talk about the tone of the first movie to the tone of the second and the third. Now, you're probably not going to have any input on this because you've probably not seen either one of them, right? That would be weird if I had seen two and or three, but never saw the first one. Why? <laughs> All right, so yes. All right, so basically what we have are four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I love that it's all there in the title. <laughs> um, this movie came out in 1990, and yes. I think the comic was 84, right? 84, yes. yes. Yeah, so they had their own little, uh, I guess, uh, studio called Mirage Studios. That was their little imprint. Um, and in 1984, they weren't expecting anything to come of this. Black and white comic, which I love. Fantastic. Um, I guess the art style was, because uh, it's Kevin, right? Mostly. Um, yeah. 
really, 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 really distinguishable and recognizable. Mm -hmm. So we look at particular artists like, uh, I want to say our Adams, but his style changed so much from when he originally started to what we have now. But like, um, you look at, you know, people that I, I enjoy, like Liefeld and McFarlane, uh, Lee, um, who's current now that just kind of sticks out. Um, Daniel Warren Johnson. Like yep, you look yep. at the art and you know that it's them undeniably. Um, and Kevin Eastman definitely has one of those styles. And I think that was something that probably drew a lot of people to it because it was just so different um, in that respect. Uh, and then, yeah, so yeah, basically an origin. How many pages was it? It was more than 22 pages. It was like thir 32, 33, I think. Yeah, because it was meant to be just a one-off and, and that's much. it because they didn't yeah. think there was anything going to come of it. So, so yeah, really quick. So I just want to interject, like, like it's, it's, it's really, unless you were there and, and paying attention, it's kind of hard, I think, to really grasp the impact that this one very independent comic uh, uh, had on, on, on comics at the time. I remember reading about this book in 1984 mm -hmm. in a magazine, uh, a, a comics magazine that, that had, uh, I remember the th three big articles was one was a history of Batman, which was for me at nine years old was amazing to mm -hmm. golden age to the present, just the whole history of that character in this one magazine. Uh, the other was an article about Marvel's monster comics from the seventies. Uh, so, you know, Werewolf by Night, Frankenstein's Monster, Tomb of Dracula. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then another was an article about this this little indie comic that could from Mirage Studios called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And and so right right there in the title, it's 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 capturing three things or three things in the zeitgeist at the time. Uh, teenagers. So New Teen Titans was a huge book at the time. Legion of Superheroes was right behind it. Uh, Mutant, the X-Men, was also at their peak of popularity under Chris Claremont uh, writing, John, you know, Dave Cockrum, John Byrne, Paul Smith doing the illustration at that time. And then um, the Ninja Fad of the early 80s. So mm -hmm. and, and then to add the fact that they were turtles is the fourth piece, the irreverence of a lot of independent comics at the time. And this book just cut through everything and became a sensation. And it took me two years to get, to finally get my hands on a copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one. And it was a sixth printing that I got at the <laughs> Dirt Mall, the guy who sold comics at the Dirt Mall, the indoor uh, flea market over in Nanuet, uh, you know, Spring Valley area, if anybody knows that, uh, across the street from El Bandito restaurant, uh, which El Bandito is still there. Dirt Mall is long gone. But um, holy cow, man. And it was like, I think it was like, five or six bucks for this comic too in, in 1986 for the sixth printing. And boy, Crazy. man, I love this comic. This had everything and yeah, complete in one issue, uh, just done so well. And then of course the next thing that happens with this comic is it becomes a cartoon series and that's it game over. It's yeah. it blows up. Um, yeah, I had never read it, so it was interesting because I wanted to see how close the source material was to the movie. Um, and then I, it, you just go down a rabbit hole on the internet, which is insane. Uh, because the movie itself encompassed a lot of that first issue. Yep. Um, 
you know, and they added in characters that they created later on because April O'Neil's first appearance wasn't until the second issue, yep. and then Casey Jones wasn't until that spinoff book of Raphael. Yes. Um, and which is reflective of the fight that they had in Central Park yep. when he was attacking the muggers. So I think they did a really good job incorporating a lot of that early material into the movie. Now, tonally as well, I think they captured that as well because there was... It had been a while since I've watched the movie. And, you know, having it be a little darker than what I remembered with the lightness of them being teenagers. Mm -hmm. So whenever they spoke, it was just shit teenagers you say at the time. Because teenagers was, raised on television in the sewer, right? Like, yes, that's like yes. the great hook, you know? So you have like this really, you know, dark tone with Shredder and the Foot Clan and kind of some of the seriousness of stuff that's going on, um, broken up by, you know, Michelangelo's, you know, quick remark. And, and it's funny because I think, you know, even in the comics, that the first comic, they weren't really flushed out personality wise. Right. Yeah. So like Michelangelo and Donatello were really similar um, mm -hmm. in respects. The only ones I think that were really flushed out were Raphael, mm -hmm. because he always had an attitude, and then Leonardo, who was always trying to appease Splinter and sort of like lead his brothers. Yeah. And I think in that first issue, Donatello and Michelangelo, you could almost pass them off as one another if they weren't holding their weapons. Because that's the only way that you could tell who was who in a, in a black and white comic. Not to not to mention um, their their dialogue is very different and their 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 narration, very wordy, mm -hmm. uh, very adult. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and again, and uh, really mimicking a lot of what Frank Miller had done on Daredevil and his series Ronin at the time um, in in tone and narration. Like like Raphael, a lot of Raphael's captions read like Wolverine. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and it's great. It works so well in the comic. But yeah, the movie does such a great job of 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 pulling from the comic and that aesthetic that the comic has, but folding in, you know, the, the what had now eclipsed the comic, the aesthetic of the cartoon show. And what you really kind of have is a nice blend of both the cartoon yes. show and the comic. Okay, so then let's talk about the movie a little bit because it came out in 1990, right? Yes. Which is a year after Batman. Yes, and it's, it shows. So it's always <laughs> going to be A, B, or B, B. Um, for me. Uh, because well, this is that's this all is that matters. But here's yeah. the thing: is that I think this movie was in production while Batman was finishing production. Correct. Correct. So, so, so it's almost like the directive was make it look like this this Batman movie, but we can't show you the movie. Here's a bunch of stills. Here's a bunch of still photographs from the movie because there are certain things that it is lacking. Uh, that's that really makes it feel more of like an '80s music uh, movie, specifically yeah. the music. Like, yes. like if Batman had come out before this movie went into production, uh, or uh, uh, there would have been a completely different soundtrack and score. You Probably. still would have, I think, had the rap song and that, that kind of stuff, but you would have had less of that synth pop music that that's very '80s feeling, and yeah. more of like an orchestral Danny Elfman type thing. I think or Prince. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, you know, a lot of that stuff was bothering me too. I don't know why. Um, it's like I it's think... like bad TV show music yeah, and these great action was. sequences. Um, <laughs> all right, but all right. So the movie itself, overall, I, I enjoyed. I mean, as far as the practicality of like the costumes, because this was one of Jim Henson's uh, the, the creature shop. 
this was one of his last, I guess, projects um, before On he his passed away. On he was making yeah. these costumes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, from, you know, the way the lips move, because the actors that were inside the suits were there different from the voice actors. Yeah. I can't believe Corey Feldman was in his freaking movie. Yes. It's some cases. Because um, Donatello was played by Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, but, but, but Ernie Reyes. Ernie yes. Reyes doing the stunts for Donatello. Ernie Reyes Jr., correct. Yeah, but the different guy just doing the walking around. Correct. Yeah. So, And then there was another guy that did the skateboarding and stuff like that, or a different yeah. person that was doing the skateboarding. So there, were, there was a bunch of people within this costume or, or within the character itself. Um, what was really great to see was sort of like that practical application of puppetry but it looks so good you i mean for the it. time and and i watched it yesterday and i'm looking at it and i'm like holy shit other than a couple of here like things here and there where sort of like the shell kind of wrinkled or when they bump each other you knew that it was spongy yeah um, or the seam the seam under the chin and the the back of the the jawline yeah but you had a really 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 look yeah. uh but like the striations and the deltoids uh the veins uh, the striations and the forms and stuff like that looks so freaking cool, especially in a certain lighting um, in that respect. So kudos to Jim Henson because he was fucking one of the kings at this stuff. And, uh, and Brian, I think his son Brian picked up a lot yes, of the, the, yes. slat, the reins on that. So On this. So yeah. obviously we get a color movie. So we get the, uh, the color eye um, sashes. Off of that, so we can actually know which turtles. I, turtles. I sash. That's I. That's a very great way to fancy way of saying mask. Oh, you like that? <laughs> that's not a mask though, because the mask would cover your face. Uh, domino mask doesn't initially cover your cover your face, but I, 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 I like no, like like Lightwings doesn't wear a mask. He wears an eye a fucking sash. That's a domino. It's a domino mask. That's what's called. Oh, that's a domino yeah. mask. It's a mask. I like mask. I, that's what I like eye sash. I, I'm gonna use eye <laughs> sash going forward. Good, you can use it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so we get the color iterations of that. And I wonder who chose the colors. Do you know? Uh, again, I think that that was just a, that's a convention of the animated series, the cartoon show. Because two things that they did to the cartoon show, well, visually, two things that they did were um, give them a, a distinct color mask. And I don't know if it's to match their personality. So, you know, Raphael's red because he's right. a little bit more right. of a hothead. Um, Donatello, I guess, is purple because he's like more of the thinker and yeah. and the, the, the gadget guy. And, and uh, Leo gets blue as a leader color. And then Mike gets orange because that was just the other one that was left. For that <laughs> party guy, right? It's fun, yes, party guy. And then they also added, which they don't do in the movie, but they also added their initials on their belt buckles for the cartoon yep. show. And then, of course, the cartoon show, you know, really went all all out on their different personalities, which this movie does take on as well. But yeah, that's just part of the car cartoon show, just grafted in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, when we read when I read the comic, I think uh, the really standouts were Raphael and Leonardo as far as personality. When it came to Michelangelo and Donatello, um, they were really similar. And then I was reading something, and I don't know if I read it wrong, but Donatello was a love interest to April O'Neil. That was that was very much a thing in the comics, where there was definitely some human on mutant turtle uh, uh, action and tension. <laughs> Holy and shit, that's fantastic! Which, which, but which, if you watch the movie again, if you watch and I watched it after reading that, she spends a lot of time around Donatello. Around Donatello, but it's weird because there's also like Raphael. Like she makes a point to really thank Raphael uh, in her news piece about how she was rescued from them by the mugging. Yeah, um, but it was only him. Yeah, yeah. It was only him that rescued her. 
so no, remember they, they well they all four rescue her at first in the alley. Yes, but the lights, the second somehow time. the lights go out in the alley and it's completely dark in the middle of this alley in New York where you can't even see anything. But uh, there's no you even know light leaving from anywhere. I was gonna say something about that too because I'm like, all right, listen, nobody should ever film anything in New York City that's gonna be remotely like a, t a teenage, a mutant, whatever. Because <laughs> right. the city is never empty. Right. Ever, every fucking block in the city at all hours of the day has one person at least on it. Yes. And every time they were in a fucking street, there was nobody around. I was like, there's yes. no fucking way. This is this is Earth 2. Street or soundstage in Vancouver. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so just like the book, this we get the origin, we got the whole ooze thing, uh, we got the whole, dude, I, I completely forgot that he was a rat in a cage that just mimicked the movements. Mimics the of... movements, but then is exposed to the ooze. <laughs> yes. And then because he takes those turtles in and then he gets exposed to the ooze and then he 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 develops speaking abilities and grows. And as it says in the comic, not as fast as they did, which I thought was a really neat little bit. Yeah. Um, whereas what I think in the cartoon, it's a it's a human turned into a rat because of the ooze. I think if I remember No, 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 no. It's still a rat. In the cartoon, okay. Yeah, I remember still the a rat. opening sequence of the cartoon. Uh, the, 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 the guy, like, like in the cartoon, the way they did the, what I felt like they did the origin. Cause I never watched a lot of the cartoon. I just rejected it, but I do right. remember the opening that he was supposed to be the guy that in the comic and the movie is the owner of the rat. Right. right. But he, the rat and the owner are one and the same. And I just remember the shot of the movie of that guy, like in his karate gi. And then all of a sudden it's like. Boom, he turns into the rat. And it's like, it's, you know, and it's all of the hair grows and he's like, oh, I'm now a rat, you know? Yeah. So I, I might be wrong on that because again. No, yeah. It was, it was the, the, the movie was really close to the origin of that, that first issue. Which, um, is which is amazing to me because that is one of the most tragic origins uh, in comics, I feel. And the way that that is almost. Like I'm, I'm talking about the backstory of, yep, of yep. the master and the rat and, and, and the Shang, love yeah. rival yep. and all that stuff, which the only change, the only significant change, and it, which makes perfect sense for the movie, they streamline it, mm. is that Shredder, spoiler alert, Shredder is the guy's, you know, the master's rival or whatever, um, is that in the movie, it's the same guy, right? It's the guy who was the rat's master's rival for the woman. Right. And then right. he kills the woman after they escape to America. Right. And it sets all this off. Whereas in the comic, it's the master's rival is killed by the master and it's his younger brother. That's correct. Seeks revenge, which is awesome in the comic. But yep, I think yep. for the movie, just streamlining it, it makes much more sense. Yeah. 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 And then adding the, that little effect of um, Splinter jumping on his face and giving him the. The marks, yeah, which again, like great that. reveal in the movie. If you know, they a nice shorthand visual shorthand there, yeah. So, if you've never heard of turtles or seen turtles, then you're probably under a rock somewhere and or a shell or a shell, uh, and keep your head in. Uh, but basically, what you have is sort of, uh, yeah, this, this, it is a, a redemption story in a sense, a revenge story in a sense, and then sort of like, uh, uh coming, coming to the light. Um, mm -hmm. At the very end, um, because they actually, you know, come out and are accepted in almost every rendition um, that's been around. But I think with what they did with Kevin Eastman and, and Leia did at a time where, you know, this is 90s, right? So comics were really hitting their peak as well. But this was mainstream. We take an independent 
comic that nobody ever heard of and just blew up. And if you think about it, from 1984 to this movie made in 1990, that's six years. Mm -hmm. You had a toy line, you had an animation, mm -hmm. and you had the movie done. Yeah. Then shortly after that, Eastman gets bought out by Laird, because I guess he doesn't want anything to do with Turtles anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the amount was, but it was probably something ridiculous. And then shortly after that, I think in 2009, uh, Laird gets bought out by freaking Nickelodeon. Yeah, and yeah. So imagine that paycheck. Yeah. Um, off of that. And then now we're at, what, at 2023? Um, Turtles is still going strong because it has yeah. its its main book, its ongoing series has been going on forever. Guess who's still doing covers? Eastman. Eastman, yeah. Then you had some spinoffs of uh, The Ronin. Yeah, uh, which Eastman, yeah, The Last Ronin, which Eastman, I think, wrote, if I'm not mistaken, or had a heavy part in it. Yeah. Um, and that's still continuing with, um, you know, the last run and lost year stuff. So, and then they've been, you know, they've incorporated, uh, additional turtles. I think there was a female turtle that was introduced in the animation, not the comics first, the animation there was, first. There, there, well, there, so there was a live action. And I remember in the nineties after this movie, after the second movie, maybe or the third, but there at some point there was a live action television show and the live action TV show for kids uh, introduced Venus de Milo as the female mm. turtle. Mm. But in the comics a few years ago, they introduced a female turtle named Jenica. But Venus apparently yes. is also in the comics as well. So right. you actually have six tall, four, four dudes and six ladies. Turtles. Six ladies. Yeah. So or two, two lady turtles. Two lady turtles. Yeah. So they introduced them. And then what they did really well, I think, in a later series now with the Ronin stuff as well. Um, so if we look at back at the original you know, uh, comic number one, and we look at the original movie, they're all the same turtle. Uh, if you took the eyelashes or the eyelashes off, mm -hmm. uh, you wouldn't be able to really distinguish them. Other than I started to really look, the markings on the face was slightly different. Mm -hmm. So if they were to take the eyelashes off, you could tell by the markings on the face as well. And then obviously when they open their mouth, um, they, they talk differently. Um, but yeah, so what they did with the, the current stuff that's going on right now is those four turtles are four different turtles. They're four different species of turtles. Oh, which I thought was, yeah, which was really unique. And, and you know, I, there's, there's been an evolution and, you know, every now and then, I, I can't, how many waves of, you know, uh, toys have there been with this? Because there's always a resurgence <laughs> yeah. every couple of years. Um, and then now we're getting a new animated film too that looks freaking um, fantastic, which I can't wait for. But I think they just, they hit something in that zeitgeist that you were talking about that's just probably never going to go away. So similar to like Batman and Superman, uh, which are probably going to be around for a really long time, uh, way you know longer than we're going to be around. I think the turtle stuff falls into that category as well, as they're going to be around for a long time. There's just something familiar and something really unique about what they did in, in regards to just having that perfect formula of fucking, this is relatable to everybody. Um, everybody has their favorite turtle. Um, everybody relates to one of the turtles. Um, and in that relationship of Master Splinter to his sons um, and how he talks about them and, you know, the reverence that he has for them and the love great, that he has yeah. for them. Yeah, I mean, watching the movie and then fucking, yeah, when they had that, when they were sitting in the fire and doing that meditation and, you know, calling on to Master Splinter. Dude, Obi-Wan Splinter shows up from the yes, force. Yeah, yes. Great. 
choking up his shit. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, this fucking movie is serious. It's scary. It's fun. It, it like had everything. But the only thing that I found, like as far as the evolution of the characters, I think Raphael and Leonardo definitely have stayed consistent throughout the evolution of, you know, whatever they've been um, doing, whatever really uh, iteration they're at. Mm-hmm. The biggest changes to me have been Donatello and Michelangelo in regards to the separation of their personalities. Yeah. Michelangelo was always a silly one, still the silly one all the way through. Donatello, but there have been there have been versions where he's been a little more hard edge, like almost they tried to make him the Wolverine for a while in some versions. Well, I mean, he was he was the Wolverine in the Last Ronin because he's the only one right. that survived. Right. Spoiler, spoiler alert! <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but I think the biggest change is Donatello because well, there I, was no inclination of him being sort of like a genius. Yes, and in the comic or even in that original movie. And then just that, as, he, that he works on the truck with Casey Jones. That's like, that's it. Like he's got, you know, there's but that he doesn't one even scene. do anything because it's Casey Jones doing the work. He just, he's turns, just it on, the seat and turns it on. <laughs> and they're playing word games. Yeah. And they're playing word games. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting game, the evolution of that character because I think that was the only personality that kind of needed to be flushed out. There was even a point in the comics where Donatello, I think, became like a cyborg too. Like no a, way. Had cybernetic parts and stuff like that too. Yeah. Uh, so now again, cool. there's also some of the, there have been I think like Transformers in comics. There have been some dueling continuities of of the Ninja Turtles within the comics, yeah. uh, but for the most part, I think the stuff that the idea was publishing now is s- still in the same world as the original Mirage series. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, as far as you know, comic book to movie adaptation, I think this was probably one of the best ones that. I've ever seen, mm. um, you know, staying true to the source material and then borrowing from, you know, not so much later, but later on material, like bringing in April O'Neil, um, bringing in Casey Jones. And I think that was really smart of bringing in Casey Jones because he kind of rounded out what they were. Yes and no. Yes like and him? no. You didn't like him? I, I could have, like, so you know what? Honestly, like I felt he was one of the weakest points and he was only there to have a male human romantic love interest for April so that didn't get too weird, right? Um, I, well, you, I, didn't, you didn't want to see Donatello on top of April O'Neil? I don't mind that. <laughs> I'm fairly liberal. Oh but I just feel the gener- 1990, I don't think that was something you wanted to do in a movie that was essentially uh, uh, you know, to make money off of the kids who were watching the Saturday morning cartoon show, right? Yes. So, so as, and I love Elias Cody as his great actor. Um, and I liked aspects of Casey Jones in this, but oh man, there was a lot of stuff that he said that I just, I was like, wow, that dialogue is awful. 1990s, man. It's all good. You know, it's uh, funny. It's funny. So, you know, I'd never seen this movie and I liked it enough. I will probably watch it again in less than 30 years. Um, <laughs> but so before I put this on, I, I, I like to watch a trailer, you know, the original trailer before I watch a movie right and and i put the, the trailer on for this movie and oh my god it is like such a bad trailer because yeah. it takes all the goofy one-liners the turtles say and all the little bits like them you know knocking the guy in between their shells or like you know him ducking his head under as in his shell and oh, i love being a turtle like and it's all the really really bad bits because the commercial is designed to get the kids excited about the movie right the, the cartoon and i was like I, I don't know if i can do this after the trailer i was like this just looks so goofy they're back spinning and fight like they're break dancing and fighting and what it looked like in the, the trailer and then and so so when i put the movie on man i was pleasantly surprised because mm. yeah you really buy into those animatronics and those guys in those suits 
and and it all of that goofy one-liner stuff is really spaced out like throughout the movie really well mm -hmm. so it's not hitting you all at once one after another there's right. really interesting stuff happening in between that so i thought that was really cool and as i'm watching this like wow you could really excise a fair amount of this movie and and kind of nail down something very close you know maybe a 30 minute edit that brings you something sort of close to the original comic right um and I want the so so yeah so I just that was there was just there I was very worried after I saw that trailer but boy I I love this I thought this was so much fun yeah it's, it's something that I definitely go back and I watch at least once a year um just because even if I'm drawing and I just put it in the background I end up not drawing and end up just watching it again because <laughs> the, the the visuals on it was for the time was just so great yeah. um you, you know as you get older teenagers get annoying. So that's the only thing that bothers me now. Um, but if we look at it, like, as far as an independent film, as far as an independent comic, uh, how it just blew up. And I'm looking at, like, the stats. So if we look at, you know, it had a budget of 13 uh, million, 13.5 million. And it grossed over $202 million. Amazing. Fucking Amazing. insane. So it was, like, the ninth highest grossing film of itself. And it was the highest grossing independent film Um of the time you know what that money is, gets you that money gets well, you vanilla ice for the sequel it does that, that and, kind of box and office. that's what they say that's ninja turtles 2 is vanilla ice's uh acting debut, acting debut. oh that's cool what, as cool as ice was not huh <laughs> yeah no it was not uh, i thought his whole Ro i thought robbie van winkle's uh, vanilla ice persona Listen, was his acting debut <laughs> <laughs> and don't even get me started on two because what pissed me off about two was the fact <laughs> they didn't even use uh freaking um bebop and rocksteady they right. made up two different fucking you and whatever's right. um for the movie which pissed me the fuck off because that would have been a great movie had it been rocksteady and bebop um and our respects but we won't even talk about it. and then fucking three going back to freaking ancient japan <laughs> holy motherfucker like there was there was definitely there was no way that there was freaking samurai helmets big enough for those guys <laughs> uh and then they just got the made from this, well, this, this old bullshit. As great as Shredder looks, I could have done without the sort of red '80s pattern on his on his bodysuit. That could have been darker. He, he, definitely, like looked, he definitely looked like a, a businesswoman in that like, that, <laughs> that fabric. Uh, and his no, helmet is because he was too small. Yeah, he was too small. He was a small um, guy. Uh, but yeah, the, it protruded from his face too far. Too far, like uh, he was going to turn and whack somebody in the head who was standing too close. But all the blades highly accurate to you know the um, comic. Uh, except for the except funny. they they do that they do they they, they shorted him one set because in the comic Correct. he's got yeah, the long blades on both arms and they do this it's like spider-man in the, the live action spider-man from the 70s he only has one web shooter instead of two right so you know why they did it right because the other guy might have killed himself with two yes. or another <laughs> yes, actor. kept stabbing the other actors when he had to put his hands <laughs> in the face but 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 so what i was going to say is all right so yeah highly accurate to to um the comic the death scene was a little bit different. Was <laughs> I was gonna, I wanted to ask you about more, you more gory that. in the comic. Uh, that would have been not good for a PG thirteen rating. What I love sure. is, what I love is, after he dies, right? So those who don't, spoiler alert again for a thirty two year old movie. Uh, uh, in the comic, Shredder um, 
is stabbed. He's, he fights the turtles on a rooftop. They, they really do a number on him. Um, and so before he goes out, he's got like a thermal detonator, like a, you know, like a, a star Wars bomb, right. That mm. he's going to blow up and just blow all of them up with him. And they knock him off and he like, blows up on his way down into the building and then you have pieces of shredder just lying around and i think one of the last panels is uh one of them picks up his arm you know with the, <laughs> the just throws it behind him in into the the dumpster um in the movie he similar except no bomb um and it's really splinter and shredder having that showdown yep. and splinter is actually you know holding on to him preventing him from falling shredder attacks splinter has to let go shredder falls into a conveniently placed uh garbage truck which then casey jones then turns on to crush shredder right and then all the police and the media and everybody shows up right and all these kids and everything and they're all talking about all these guys that they had you know oh, it was a big fight and all these ninja guys we got to clean these guys up and this is you go to this warehouse you'll find everything going on nobody nobody's talking about the guy who's crushed <laughs> in the back of the garbage truck there's no blood to like lead to it like like everybody just sort of like ignores that aspect by that point which i found very odd but again very gory like <laughs> it was 90s bro and, yeah. and and well you know what it was because everybody was distracted by the acting ability and the acting chops of san rockwell Ah, uh, yes, yes. I was going to get to some Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> trivia. And yes, a 22-year-old Sam Rockwell oh as the leader of the gang. Amazing, amazing. I had no so idea. Um, uh, all right, but here, but but before we go any further, so love the fact that they were like really like dedicated to the accuracy of the costume, yeah. but it was so uncomfortable watching that one scene with his second in command, I think it was uh, Masatatsu, yeah. when he comes in and he has to take his uh i guess his cape and put it behind him yes so his shoulders have the blades too and that scene went on for like 30 seconds before they even said anything because he's like like were the blades real because he was like really meticulous and like worried about not cutting himself it's like, either, what the hell? either they were real or they were very soft rubber and he had to be careful not to do it too fast and then <laughs> kill the illusion. Like the penguin walking by the, the, the gravestone and nudging yes. it and you see yes. the gravestone wobble back <laughs> in return. Um, my but that's what happened again. in California. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so I, but 30 seconds and I was like, I rewinded it again and I was like, holy shit, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> And shit, but yeah. So, all right. So overall, um, so all right. So let's go back then. Overall, what did you think of the movie? I thought it was great. I really liked it. Um, uh, like I said, I mean, the 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 good far outweighs the cringy, and um, I really enjoyed it. And again, I just like the the feat of the animatronics in the pre CGI world. Uh, it just really pulls you in, and you really buy into uh, what's going on there with these actual turtle characters. So I really, I'm, I'm, I. I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm sorry that I waited 32 years to watch mm. the movie. Um, but I'm really happy that I have now watched the movie and, um, and I really enjoy it. I don't know if I'm going to watch two and three. Um, <laughs> two at I, least. You got to watch the vanilla. I'm, I might watch, I might watch this one again at some point. And now I'm actually curious to see like what out of the, what the reboot movies were like, the animated right. reboot movie, the, and then, uh, you know, from like 10 or so years ago. And then the one from 2014, I kind of want to check those out. Not crazy mm -hmm. about those designs of the turtles. Yep. Uh, but I just kind of want to, I, I don't know. I just, and I feel like I'm going to, 
I'm going to feel that I'm going to be disappointed with the CGI compared to the, the live action guys. So, uh, so this is really funny. You mentioned before Raphael was your, is your favorite turtle, right? So as I'm watching the credits and I'm watching, well, first when I'm watching the movie, Raphael's the only one who really does any sort of martial arts on that right. rooftop fight. Uh, and again, like the comic, Raphael has a solo fight. Raphael has a couple solo mm -hmm. moments here. Um, and I was like, oh, that's got to be Ernie Ray's in the suit doing mm -hmm. all that martial arts stuff. Uh, but no, apparently he was the stunt for double for Donatello. Which is, yeah. But as I'm watching the credits, I noticed the voice and the guy in the suit for just the walking around stuff um, is an actor by the name of Josh Pice. And this is what's crazy is Josh Pice actually played my dad, Phil Pepe, oh in gosh. ESPN's The Bronx is Burning miniseries from like 15 years ago. Oh, um, yeah, the, my dad, they actually wrote my dad in as a character in this because he was there, He, you know, and and so he was the, the sports writer, you know, guy that you kind of follow through part of this movie, um, which is so cool. Like, that's a great connection because the only other thing I remember Josh Pice from, uh, he was the very inappropriate gynecologist in this movie called Teeth. Uh, it was a horror movie. You can put two and two together there. Yep, yep. And um, there was a show called uh, Michael and Michael Have Issues with uh, Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter. It was on Comedy Central. And they're, they're two comedians. And they were have, the, the setup was they have a show and they have a very beleaguered director who they constantly barrage and harass with their antics. Uh, that's also Josh Pice. So, so to know that the guy who played my dad in this movie is also, also Raphael in the Ninja Turtles, <laughs> like, oh, like that's so cool. I wish, I, you know, like, I, I, my dad would not care if he was right. still around and I told right. him this. But boy, I would have loved to have been able to know this back then and tell him uh, because I thought that was really neat. So and he's also small in, world. And he's also in a scene out of costume as well. Um, he's like a passenger in a car um, yeah. early in the movie or something. But yeah, that was like I was that was a great little discovery uh, when I when I watched the movie. Cool, good. All right, so you enjoyed the movie. As far as myself with the comic, really, really enjoyed it. I wish I had a copy in my hands, but I don't have fifty-four grand or more. Um, <laughs> but I'll take the six or seventh or thirteenth printing. Um, so I guess the next facsimile that comes out, I'll grab that. I think I don't know where it stands right now on trade paperback collections that original stuff. I don't know if IDW has anything in print currently. Oh yeah, I'll have to uh, check that out. Yeah. But it'd just be good to have like that first issue. Yeah, and it's it really so funky. It's really a lot of things that like I thought were you know because I, I I had read a couple of I think three of the first four issues when I was younger before right. the cartoon show starts. And what I had seen from the cartoon show, I was like, wow, they went crazy with this, this alien with the brain in its stomach and, and then the oh, rock steady yeah. and bebop and all this weird, crazy sci-fi stuff. And then that actually is all actually in the comic. The comic yeah. went to some really crazy places uh, before the cartoon show. And really some of that stuff started to gestate and bubble in the comic uh, as far as that, differentiating of their personalities you know it again was really just just really overdone for the cartoon show um and now one of my favorite bits in the original comic is the connection to daredevil because again yes. frank miller's daredevil was very influential on these guys and the whole setup which they don't I, I, it's interesting they don't show this in the movie because in the movie Splinter is in the sewer and he sees the aftermath of the incident. He sees right. the broken bowl, the four turtles, the canister, the ooze. You know, he doesn't see what led to that. But in the comic, he's up 
on the service foraging for food and he sees the blind man crossing the street, the young man pushing the blind man out of the way of the mm -hmm. truck barreling by, the canister bouncing out of the back of the truck, hitting the, the you know, hitting the kid's kid, yep. bowl of turtles that he's holding and then hitting the young kid in the head, um, which, and, and then he's going to blare it and said, that is Matt Murdock. That is a young Matt Murdock. <laughs> that is the scene where Matt Murdock goes blind, but there you know, gains his daredevil powers. Uh, so that's like a stealth crossover that the uh, the Ninja Turtles do exist in the world, at least of the first issue of, uh, of Daredevil, which I love. I love that they did that. And yeah. I love that that could kind of just sit there and just be, you know. The only thing that I found weird and just a weird transition, because I knew they had to do the origin of them, was towards the beginning of the issue where he has the turtle sit down and says now that now after 15 years after 15 years i'm going to tell you your origin and i, was, I know that it was for the reader but it was such a weird thing and i was like uh, yeah i had to that was the only thing that i found well it's a comic so i mean yeah yeah and it, the turtles don't exist yeah it's a shorthand and, and i think yeah the, the the dispensing of the information and the origin flashbacks were really done a, a lot better i think in the movie in the movie yeah because you had it twice it. Yeah, he's explaining the first part to April where the turtles come from, yep. and then you know, yes, it is a movie in the '90s. There's a there's some kids that you got to focus on. So Danny, who's Dan by the end, right? This yes. little the near do well kid who has yes. the face turn that you follow through the movie because you have to do that in movies back then. Oh. Um, he is given the further backstory of where Shredder comes from and and how all that happened. And I thought that was just that was really paced nicely in the movie and done really well in the movie. Yeah. And then, so my last thing before we end this, because we can keep going on forever. Um, so the in the movie, April is the only one that has this visceral response of seeing the turtles for the first time. Like, she screams. She sees the rat first. You see Splinter wakes up screaming. Then sees the turtles scream some more. No one else in the fucking movie said, what the fuck? fuck are you and screamed and ran away <laughs> casey jones was like are you some like bubbly bubble head yep. the little kid didn't like if you saw a real live fucking turtle walking around and talking what the fuck would you do well that's now that's probably one of the most new york things because there is that one moment when Raphael in the the trench coat and the hat is run across the street and he gets hit by the cab he rolls over the hood of the cab and the guy at the back of the cab goes what was that and the cab driver's like hey it looked like some giant turtle in a trench coat and a hat where do you want to go you no, no, no. It's like you're still going to LaGuardia, right <laughs> yeah yeah and I, and I i don't know that kind of sets up that world for me um there's there's a thing you know that richard donner always talked about his first superman movie the first christian movie verisimilitude right. uh everything just really has to feel like it exists in this world and honestly so much of this movie has that verisimilitude so much of this movie feels like it is exists in that world right. where weird things that are sort of out of place like april o'neill's weird aptitude for just drawing really well which yeah. is not really introduced it's just there um or the um the, the the one scene where where April and Casey are just having that tension right that that moonlighting tension that they mm -hmm, referenced mm -hmm. um and then it's like he gives her a back rub and then all of a sudden it's like in like two seconds and the next scene 
they're all down with each other. And it was yeah. like, I was like, I think there, there was probably a couple more scenes in there because that really felt. No, I can very... see that. I can see that. I can yeah. see that just because of the situation that they were in. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like the last man, last woman on earth kind of like situation. But yes, I get it. I mean, because she does go for, but I wouldn't even be with you if you're the last <laughs> thing on earth, which means she's, she's down with turtles before him in that moment. But that's just uh, to her yeah. There's gotta be a porno out there somewhere. Where uh, there, there is actually a comic, uh, Ninja Turtles porno that was, uh, there's, it's a nice little comic book urban legend. So, um, yeah, folks can search for that right. on their own. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's end it right there before we go down another rabbit hole. Um, all right, guys. For this yeah, turtle sewer uh, hole, <laughs> manhole. Oh, um, oh, hey! All right, so we got uh, so we got three books for you this week. Make sure you check them out. RK Kings from Image Comics. You got Star Trek uh, uh, from IDW, <laughs> uh, and then Dark Spaces Good Deeds also from IDW. Uh, we had our indie comic review for this month, which was yeah, it was it was such a treat to go back to the turtles. Um, I guess Phil and I, oh, Phil. John and I will have a chat in regards to what we'll do for next month. If you guys have any input, uh, yeah, just you know, give us a shout. Just let us know. You can go to amazingactioncomics.com slash podcast. Put it in there. It would be cool. Um, and see if there's anything that you want us to review as far as an indie comic uh, movie review. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're going to be here every Thursday until John dies. Um, and then that's when the podcast will be over. Uh, if you'd like to come on to the show, if you're a creator and want to promote yourself and or a project that you have coming up, amazingactioncomics.com slash podcast. Pull out the form. We'd love to have you on. We're actually going to have uh, Jeffrey Scott back on again soon, I believe, if not next week, then the week after, uh, to talk about his uh, latest project, Something Sinister, which is out. So our entire library out, is out right now in digital format. So if you go to Global Comics, uh, that's with an X at the end, Global Comics. Uh, dot com um, and search for amazing action comics dot com or amazing action comics you'll find our entire library on there a lot of the stuff is up there for just 99 cents which is cool mm. um, and then if you like the digital stuff when we have the physical copies come out again because everything's sold out on our site which is wonderful but not wonderful uh, then you can get yourself a physical copy stay up to date on everything that we got going on uh, at amazing action comics dot com and please 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 most importantly support your local comic shop because we want those guys to be around forever so that way we can have books to read and be entertained um, like we are every single week, every single Wednesday, every single Tuesday. It's wonderful. Phil, where do you get your comics from? Well, I get my comics at The Joker's Child in Fairlawn, New Jersey. And one of the great things about The Joker's Child is we got comics, we got toys, we got statues, we got so much great stuff over there. We actually have some really cool Ninja Turtle action figures right now that are action figures that come with comics, best of for each of the specific turtles that they are highlighting. And it's a great uh, set of figures, combines both aesthetics. They all have the red masks, but they also all have the little uh, initials on their belt buckles. I can't get up with it. I love it. We got some new Ninja Turtle statues in. We also got some really cool Star Trek stuff, Angel, that you might want to yeah. uh, vomit all over, yeah. uh, including some some replica toys and of of uh, items from the actual motion picture themselves, uh, th itself. So uh, yeah, yeah, get, come and get some really bland gray uh, 1979 looking uh, looking toys there. But yeah, at the Joker's Child, we have all this and so much more. The only thing missing at the Joker's Child is you. So let's see you folks come on down to the Joker child and uh, and check us out and buy some good stuff and buy some good stuff all right folks that is all that we have for you <laughs> that is all that we have for you this week so make sure to always be amazing 
Stay amazing and read something amazing. <laughs>